Might have known. I told Hiram not to mention it. He went ahead and did it. <clears throat> Is your mama still living? I'd love to meet her. <clears throat> were you like that when you were little? No. <laughs> <laughs> so Hiram's come a long way in the last few years. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, please. And I have good news for you. I'm not going to lecture you. We're going to think out loud together this morning. Okay, think about praising the Lord. Think about this phrase, praise the Lord. Tell me a life experience where you might hear somebody say that or some life experience that might cause somebody to get on Facebook and post about it that event or experience, and then they'll say at the end, praise the Lord. Give me a life experience where somebody might say or express that sentiment, praise the Lord. A baptism. I think that is an awesome, it's the perfect time. You know, here this person has come. They're sinners. They're doomed for hell and eternity. But God's offered grace. They've heard about that grace. They've embraced the grace. They're baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They come up out of the water. And I would love to start a tradition where everybody who witnesses that, as soon as they come up, just all together, in unison, say, praise the Lord. What an appropriate time to say that. Perfect. How about some other life experience? What? Retirement. Retirement. <laughs> oh, that's great. Retirement. You know, I've never had anybody bring that life experience up in talking about this. You know, uh, but that's not always true. Um, a good friend of mine worked for the Roadway, uh, the trucking company, for many years out of Akron, Ohio. And one Sunday evening after uh, our worship service, Wanda came to me. And Wanda said, Dean Howard is fixing to retire. She said, he is going to be under my feet all the time. This is not going to be good. I said, Wanda, calm down. I said, when he retires, I'll keep him busy with church work three days a week. She looked at me and she said, I want five days a week. <laughs> yeah, retirement, you, you spend all those years investing in that job, that occupation, and then you're able to retire and have more free time, or at least you think. The reason why I'm not retired, even though I'm 69 years old, is I keep hearing guys telling me that they're more busy after they retire than when they were working, so I ain't going to retire. I don't want to get no more busy than I already am. Okay, baptism, retirement, give me another one. Yes, sir. Okay, when, when he's harvesting the hay and the dark cloud goes around, praise the Lord. Good one. How about another one? Someone is told cancer-free. Man, when you think about all of the stress and strain that goes with that diagnosis of cancer and how your mind and your, and your heart just races and how burdened you feel and how stressed you feel, and then to hear those two sweet words, cancer-free. Now, have you noticed something about every single thing that's been mentioned? Every single thing that's been mentioned, there's a common bond. They're all positive. Is life all positive? It's not, is it? Sometimes we experience things in our life, awful things in our life, they can be undeserved things in our life. 
They can come out of nowhere. We can't have ever imagined in our life that we would have experienced it, but it happens. There are awful things that happen. And then that causes us to feel overwhelmed and we struggle with that feeling. Sometimes we can be so overwhelmed by the negative circumstances that we're experiencing, we might not want to praise the Lord. Could we be that transparent to be willing to admit that? I was sitting about right here one Sunday morning, and the song leader announced a song. And when he announced that song, and I turned to that song in the songbook, my internal response was, I do not want to sing this song. Now, cut me a little bit of slack here. I've always been a slow learner in my life. I wasn't a church-going kid until I was 15 years old. I was a young man in my early 30s at that time. There was a young lady at church who was diagnosed with breast cancer. Her name was Vicki. I was a pulpit preacher for an awesome church, an unbelievable, wonderful Christian family. And we loved that woman. We loved her husband. We did everything in the world we could to compassionately minister to them. We took her to treatments up at the Cleveland Clinic over and over and over again. She had surgeries up there. She had one of the finest hospitals in the world care for her as a cancer patient. One December Friday night in the wintertime, she died. I could not believe God let that happen. I just could not believe God let that happen. With all the prayers we had prayed, with all the things that we had done to love and support and encourage that family, how in the world could God let that happen? He could have stopped that. I know he could have stopped that, but he didn't. I couldn't believe that. And here I was, a Christian, a Christian male, a Christian college graduate with a Bible degree, ministry experience, preacher in the Lord's church, and I could not believe God let that happen. It's the only time in my life and I'm including the time when my wife was diagnosed with Parkinson's and when I was caregiving and when she died and ever since then. It's the only time in my life I was mad at God. The reason why I didn't want to sing that song is because it was that song that was titled Great Things He Hath Done. And the only thing that my feeler was feeling was God, you didn't do such a great thing up at the Cleveland Clinic Friday night. Man, I was a mess. And here, in a few minutes, I was going to have to get up in front of a grieving church and preach. You know what pulled me out of that? It was my church family singing that song. Took me a couple verses to get a grip. I finally got a grip and got up there and preached about a grace that sustains us. Boy, sometimes life can do a number on you to such an extent 
that you're, ju you're just not yourself anymore. You're, you're just really struggling. And you may not want to praise the Lord. You may not feel like it. You may even choose not to do it. But I want to suggest to you that whether we're enjoying great prosperity or the most awful of adversity, this is what we should do. Praise the Lord. No matter what in our life, that's what we should do. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in Philippi. This is the second missionary journey. This uh, demon has been exercised from this, uh, this girl. And uh, verse 19 begins. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Whoa. Now I'm going to take you back to English class. Some of you slept through it. <clears throat> but I'm hoping a few of you didn't. Okay, you remember verbs? You know, we typically think about action words when we think about verbs. So beginning at verse 19, and we're going to think out loud here together. We're going to look at every verb that has something to do with what Paul and Silas experienced. Okay, verse 19, what's the first verb that says something about what they experienced? Seized. They seized Paul and Silas. What's the next verb? Dragged. Okay, now if you're seized and dragged, what does that indicate? You're in trouble. Yeah. You're not in control anymore. It's like my mama, who was the mama of four boys. I'm the second of four boys. Even though we weren't a church-going family, for some reason, Saturday night, we had to get a bath. You know, sometimes you've got to get the little boy, and you've got to seize him and drag him to the bathtub on Saturday night. That means mama's in control. He doesn't have the freedom that he'd like to have. So they're seized and they're dragged into the agora, into the marketplace... Brought before the authorities. Drop down to verse 22. Give me another verb or verbal phrase. Rose up. Who rose up? The multitude. Now, oh, you know, I love these videos that I see on Facebook sometimes. Where there is some injustice occurring. And individuals or small groups rise up with a deep sense of justice, and they are bound and determined to stop what is happening. Is that the rising up here we're talking about? What kind of rising up was this? Against, not for, not to stop. They rise up against. Now, who is it that rises up against? This is worthy of note. Who, who's doing this? How big is a multitude or a crowd? It says the multitude 
rose up together against them. How big is a multitude? A bunch, okay. It's more than one. Now here's Paul and Silas there too. A multitude rise up against them. How about another verb or verbal phrase in verse 22? Tore, what was torn? Clothes, okay. So now we're getting violent. Their clothes are torn. Now how about at the end of verse 22, how about another verb? Beaten. Beaten. Has anybody here ever gotten a whooping? Okay, I see some gray hair and few bald heads. So I figured I'd probably be pretty safe in thinking that there's a few people sitting in this room who've gotten a whooping. The last whooping I ever got, it was epic. It's the only one I remember. It really is. I have no idea what I did. I have no idea what I did. Now, when you were whooped, what were you whooped with? A, a bell? What else? A switch? Oh, a fly swatter? That's pitiful. I'll bet that didn't do a lick of good. You may have gotten some licks. A yardstick. What? A belt? A wooden spoon? If you went to the principal's office, what did you get whooped with? A paddle. You know, I'm glad I got out of school in time. They started putting uh, holes in the paddle. You know, there's aerodynamics involved there. Um... My daddy, none of those things are what I experienced in this last epic whooping I got. My daddy had, some of you younger people are going to have to Google this, a razor strap. He had a razor strap. I'm sure I deserved it. Um, I am fortunate to have survived my teenage years. Now, what were they beaten with, though? Rods. Okay, now we're talking about way beyond anything any of us have just mentioned. They've been beaten with rods. Now, how about the next verb or verbal phrase in verse 23? Laid. What was laid? Stripes. How many stripes? Many stripes. Okay, how many is many? Okay, more than one. A lot. And we're not talking about M-I-N-I. We're talking about M-A-N-Y. Many stripes. Now, put this all together. Beaten with many stripes using a rod. Are you getting the image now? Are you beginning to appreciate what you read in 1 Thessalonians 2.2? He says, in Philippi, spitefully treated. Oh, yeah. This comes in the category of spitefully treated. 2 Corinthians 11.25 talks about how that he'd been beaten with rods. This is one of those occasions. Okay, what about the next verb or verbal phrase in verse 23? Through, where were they thrown? Into prison. Thrown into prison. Now, what about the next verb at the end of verse 23? Keep, okay, they were kept securely. You know, in our culture, we have uh, levels of security in regard to our prisons. You know, levels of security. This was an inner prison because they're wanting to be kept securely. Now, how about the verb in uh, verse 24 in regard to their feet? 
fastened. Their feet were fastened in what? Okay, now, they were seized, they were dragged. A multitude rose up together against them. Their clothes were torn. They were beaten with rods. Many stripes laid on them. They were thrown in prison. They were kept securely. And they were fastened with their feet in stocks. Now, are you getting the picture here? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. At the 1989 Harding University Lectureship, Ken Durham was assigned this section of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16 to write a chapter in the Harding University Lectureship book. In his writing about this particular event in Acts chapter 16, here's what Brother Ken Durham wrote. Maybe they were trembling in their stocks, scared, hurt, exhausted. And all they know to do in a moment like this is to affirm the only truth they can. God. This is faith. Faith at its toughest. Faith at its purest. After all, the most honest, unvarnished songs of praise are probably not sung in an air-conditioned church building in Bowling Green, Kentucky. But those songs that are sung in dark places through trembling lips at midnight. I did tweak the quote just a little bit. You know, when you struggle mightily, you have a choice about how to struggle mightily. We do not have control over everything that happens in our life, but we do have control over every single reaction to what we experience in life. Back in the 1970s, T. Pierce Brown wrote an article in the Gospel Advocate that helped me tremendously to begin to formulate a perspective about life. And it summarized in this way. This is my perspective. I think it's defensible by Scripture. Not everything that happens in this world is God's will, but in everything that happens, God has a will. Not everything that happens in this world is God's will. Now, yes, He permits it, but I'm talking about God's will in the sense of desire. You see, God doesn't always get what He desires. I mean, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. But it's not happening. There's a permissive will, but then there's a will that He desires. He wills, He desires. But we don't always bless Him with His desires. Not everything that happens in this world is what He wants to happen. Do you think He wants domestic violence in our homes? Do you think he wants addiction in personal lives and in families? Not everything that happens in this world is what God wants to happen. Please be extremely careful. 
If you're attempting to comfort somebody who's going through a difficult time, please be extremely careful about the use of that terminology. It must have been God's will. You may be expressing that sentiment in one way, and they receive that message in a totally different way. They may receive that message as if you're suggesting that this is what God wanted. How would you possibly know? In this year, in this month, on this day, what God wanted. How could you possibly know that? Not everything that happens in this world is what God wants to happen. But in everything that happens in this world, God has a will. Do you know what his will is? It's right there that we praise the Lord. That's why we exist. Now, I hope this doesn't bum you out for the rest of the day. But God does not bless you so you can be happy. In our culture, we have created a God. We, have, we, are, we are great idol makers, we human beings. Idols are produced not in a factory, not in a shop, but in the heart. Our heart follows our treasures. Matthew chapter 6. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We have made a God out of happiness. God wants us to be holy. That's his focus. God wants us to praise him and have a relationship with him and honor him. You are not blessed so that you are going to be happy, and you are not burdened so you'll be sad. When we're blessed... We need to glorify God. Sometimes we don't do that because we're so much enjoying our blessings, we forget about the giver of the gifts. Sometimes being blessed causes us to be distracted and we don't give him glory as we should. And sometimes when we're burdened. We have a hard time giving glory to God, continuing to wait on him and serve him and trust him and praise him in our life. But we need to know that that's what God wants. He wants us to praise Him in prosperity. He wants us to praise Him in adversity. I'm going to ask you to listen real carefully. We're going to play a song. Please don't get caught up in the melody. Listen real carefully to the lyrics. I never knew this song until at my wife's funeral. It's one of the songs that my daughter down in Florida chose to be played at her mother's memorial service. Listen real carefully to the lyrics. Let me just read the lyrics. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me and the world's all that it should be. 
Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though the pain is in the suffering. Blessed be your name. What's the point of the lyrics of that song? Blessing the Lord when? Always. All the time. Brother Bruce, Bruce McClarty wrote a book called Journeys of Faith. It's like a devotional commentary on the book of John. And in that book, he makes this observation, and I want to share it with you. All of us face something that could cause us to believe that God has turned his back on us. And that we could not possibly be used for the glory of God. Some say, but I'm divorced. I struggle in my marriage. I have problems with my children. I am ill. Or I'm too old. Or I'm too young. Jesus walks into our world and says in essence this. I will not tell you why you face the difficulties that you are now facing. But I will tell you this. The work of God can be displayed in your life. In spite of your problems. Perhaps even because of your problems. There are times that we struggle so greatly and it does such a number on us that we just are tempted to not respond as we ought to. We need to be patient with ourselves. We need to be patient with others. There are times we're not going to be ourselves. There are times our friends, our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, they're they're not going to be themselves. They may say or do things or not do things that really hurt us that we can't believe that they've said or done or not done. We're mere mortal human beings, and there are times in our life when we're just a mess. And when you get a bunch of people together like this, you know what this room is? It's a mass of a mess. Because we all have baggage, things that we're struggling with, and that's why we need to love one another, support one another, be patient with one another. And maybe the first thing we need to do is be patient with ourselves. Sometimes we need to be reminded to be as patient with ourselves as we try to be patient with others because we're just human. Could we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and blessings. Your blessings are abundant, innumerable. They're beyond anything that we need and certainly beyond anything that we deserve. Thank you, Father, for the blessings. May we never get to the point where we're enjoying those blessings so much we forget about the giver of the gifts. Father, we praise you for your abundant blessings. Father, help us to learn also to praise you in the storms. Help us, Father, to understand that when we're struggling, that we live in a fallen world and we're human beings and we're going to struggle and we're going to have thoughts and feelings that maybe we have never had before. Help us, Father, to love you. Help us to seek you with a greater passion than we ever have in those times of storm. And help us, Father, to choose, and we know it's a choice. Help us to choose to praise you, even in the worst of storms. 
Father, you are a majestic, glorious, awesome God. We're so blessed to be able to call you our Father. Thank you, God, for this great morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.